I'm Alex Rybczynski. I'm Angie Czech. I'm Barbara Stewart. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I'm Marin Green. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Valerie Jacobson. And this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Hehe Stewart and I got to know each other through that app. I, I guess it's still out there, Clubhouse. It was like hot for about five seconds over the span of of app popularity. And uh, but she and I were in a ch- in, a, in one of the rooms together, and we were both speaking, and we kind of just hit it off. You know, we connected offline, and since then we've done a lot of interviewing together. And she hasn't been on my new podcast, so I invited her to come on and talk about her concierge practice, which. I recommend to so many people, and I, I hope that they've been letting her know where they come from because I don't know a lot of programs like what Hehe has. So her website's Tranquility by Hehe, and that's h e h e dot com, where you can sign up and have an entire village of people in order to help support you through education, through checklists, through just the general preparation process from preconception all the way through postpartum. It's kind of like the optimal doula package and it's being provided by a wide range of people who are both mothers but also providers of of varying talents. So I was really really happy to have her on. Um this idea of concierge prenatal care wouldn't exist if our system did a really good job of counseling patients from start to finish. Instead, you go to your OBGYN's clinic and you get like 7 seconds to talk. Right. In fact, I actually just read a study that was published in the British Medical Journal a couple years ago that said that in the outpatient primary care setting, which includes OBGYNs, that a patient is given 22 seconds on average to speak before the doctor jumps in and starts talking over them. So how are you supposed to get your questions answered? So fortunately, there are people like he who were like, man, there is a real lack here. There's a real lack here in the educational process and the preparatory process of giving birth. What ultimately ends up happening is you you know women are at 36 weeks and they're like holy crap I'm about to have a baby. And then they're scrambling around Facebook groups and everything trying to get everything ready. But you don't have to do that. You can actually go to he he Stewart and her team and they will give you all of the information and all the preparation you need to have a a healthy and hopefully joyful pregnancy and postpartum period. So I feel so grateful to have he he here. This episode sponsored by Fullwell Fertility. Go to fullwellfertility.com. You can find a wide range of perinatal nutrition products, both for men and women. And they've got some really, really great products, Nourished Nerves, Prenatal Vitamin, the Vitality and Virility Complexes. I really, really, really love what Fullwell's put together. Go to fullwellfertility.com. Use code BELOVED10 in order to save 10% on your purchase. And um, I'm just going to leave it there. Please enjoy my conversation with the one and only all-around pregnancy guru, Hehe Stewart. Hehe Stewart, in the house. So happy to see you, my friend. Hey, y'all. So happy to be back. <laughs> Can you uh, tell everybody, what do you do for a living? Hee <laughs> hee. Yeah. So I'm a maternity concierge and I have a team of doulas who work with me and we set people through their pregnancy, through their birth and their postpartum in a really hands-on, it yeah. is like high touch support. Um, if you can think of it, if, if, if it's out there being asked like, dang, I wish somebody would do this for me when I'm pregnant, we probably <laughs> do it. Um, and, and so, Yeah. That's what I do. I'm really intricately involved in pregnancy, birth, and postpartum for long-term clients, and it sets my soul on fire. Yeah, you're like the concierge at the hotel that knows everything about the city. Just go and ask, yes. and they're going to give you something. But you're helping them navigate yes. a, a very uh, can be very exciting, very very ecstatic. It can be very very scary at times, and you you are providing that. I see what you're putting out on on uh, social media. And I'm digging it, which is why I wanted to have you here to talk a little bit about some of the more nuanced things that we, you know, that you don't get in textbooks. You know, you could read all day long, every textbook in the world, you could read every pregnancy book out there, but there's, there's a certain uh, human touch and responsibility that comes with being pregnant. And, and I think that that's, 
whether you're a man and your you know female partner is pregnant or you are, are on your own pregnancy journey or um, whatever, there's very little, in my opinion, that the medical system can do to save you from your pregnancy. Like pregnancy, it's a natural physiologic thing. It's also now on you to help steer yourself and navigate the, the challenging waters, given all the information out there. And so why don't we start our conversation off with that, hee hee. Let's talk a little bit about personal responsibility. How do you talk to women when they first come to you and they're like, I'm so excited I'm pregnant. How does that conversation go around personal responsibility? Yeah, so typically it's not like straightforward, you know, personal responsibility, but I do ask you questions that you probably have never been asked before. So do you know what you do and don't want in birth? And people will sometimes rattle off like, yeah, I really like don't want an epidural or I definitely don't want an episiotomy or I don't want this or that. And I will challenge them to think deeper. No, but do you have an outcome? When you think about your birth and you close your eyes, what does it look like? What does it smell like? Who is in that room with you? What faces Mm. do you see? What do you hear? What are you feeling? And people are like, I... Um, well, I, and it, they just, they have no idea because they never thought about it. And so when we think about radical responsibility, you have so much control that you don't even know about because honestly, the hospital system as it is built right now is meant to keep you kind of blind. They really, they thrive off of it when you are an uneducated consumer and you kind of just do what they say. And so you radical responsibility and know every single step of pregnancy and where your control is, yeah. then you actually have more influence than any other singular person in your birth. And most people don't go into their birth thinking that. Right. Most people think that their doctor ha- is the most influential factor in their birth. And that is not true. If you know how to navigate the system, if you know about birth, physiological birth, what can go wrong in birth? What will you do in those situations? What are your options and your choices and the resolutions when things go wrong? How often will they go wrong? But that's part of that responsibility is doing the work before you can't wait until seven and a half months pregnant and go, oh, dang, well, I'd like to like, you know, I'd like to just be radical here. (laughs) I mean, we wasted a lot of time. It's start beginning when you find out you're pregnant It starts now, wrapping your head around it, connecting with your baby, starting to trust your body. Everyone has what I call body history. Some people have good body history and you've never struggled that kind of stuff. A lot of people have rocky or just straight up bad body history and it's hard. We gotta get through that. We have to almost confront it, which is hard, but we have nine, 10 months to do that. It's all interconnected. The, the, One of the things I love to say is the longer your runway, the smoother your landing Mm. and you get to start laying the foundation for your runway. The day that you become pregnant, if not before, if you're listening to this podcast and you're trying to conceive or you're even thinking about having children or you have been with your partner for a long time and you know that's eventually going to be your thing you should start laying the foundation now. Go ahead and just dip your toes in the water. Why not? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think in, in our culture, on the whole, I think that we're, we, we largely walk around as if we're completely disempowered from what happens tomorrow. And in some regards, you know, there are things that are out of our, are out of our control. And if we want to control every last possible variable, we're going to drive ourselves nuts. But even in like health class in middle school, we, we never taught, I was never taught about like how babies are really made. Like you think if you get close enough to a woman and you're horny enough that like a baby's going to magically appear out of nowhere, right? <laughs> and well, of course, that's perhaps good advice for a teenager who wants to start having sex and you should know what happens right. when you put your penis in certain places and let certain things, you know, dissipate out, <laughs> out into the uh into the vaginal environment, uh so to speak. <laughs> um we're talking about intercourse here people, okay? Um right. but you know, it, young women are not taught about how to not get pregnant. They're taught Avoid it at all costs or put these chemicals in your body or a device in your body that will ease your mind. But there's nothing very empowering about that, you know? So if we did those things while also trying to empower young women with the knowledge about fertility and about their cycles and about what menstruation and ovulation is, like, 
that like it, it's like teaching a man to fish, right? You know, it, it plays out over a lifetime, whereby now you can take a little bit of responsibility for what happens to you in the future. And then, of course, once you become pregnant, it's like, oh my god, I've been avoiding pregnancy at all costs until now. And so, of course, we turn to the medical system and say, okay, you you taught me how to not get pregnant. Now I'm pregnant. Teach me now what to do. And um, I think a lot of doctors and nurse practitioners and midwives alike, they all come to the table with like this idea that they're the captain of the ship. And don't worry, your little your little face off, honey. We're we're gonna take care of everything for you. And and what that ends up leading to is interventions that you perhaps didn't want. It ends up leading perhaps to outcomes that you're not totally comfortable with being touched or talked to in a way. And I guess uh, I guess the next step then is once once women have come to you, they've talked to you about this. You've you've tried to lay that groundwork. How does this pan out for people, you know, in your experience? And how can we, let's say they do come to you at 37 weeks or something like that. And they're like, what am I going to do? How do you talk to them about that? What's important for women to know? Yeah. Um, So if you really are 37 weeks and you've done like zero prep work, I would probably tell you, I'd be just straight up frankly, I'd say it's time to put your head down and like do the work. But here are some places that you can start. Um, So you should know what you want your environment to look like in labor. You should know your preferences on interventions. Do you want no interventions? Do you want, are you okay with some? So you want low intervention? Are you totally okay with whatever the hospital recommends, there's a spectrum of everything. And so I think that's where I would direct people is you're learning about the spectrum of pain relief and where you fall on that interventions and where you fall on that at 37 weeks, depending on where you live, you may have access to home birth. What if you discover that home birth is for you and you're that late in the game, explore the, the environment. And then, wow, this is tough because it's just so close (laughs) to the end, right? Having conversations with your provider in the weeks left, I think is really important. So your job is in between your prenatal appointments, you're doing the quote unquote homework to decide what your preferences are. And every single prenatal, you've come in with a list of questions. You've done the homework. Now you're communicating that with your provider. And one of the things that is really important that you're probably going to discover on your in your journey of research, but it's super important for you to like put it into place as soon as you find this out, as soon as you learn this. Yeah. You make the decisions in the room. And so when you bring these things to your provider, this is a discussion of your preferences. This is not you asking permission. Right, and a right. lot of people miss that. And or um, we just have a misconception of what our relationship with our provider is and can be and actually should be. So it's a mutual thing. You are you are equal. They are not above you. We shouldn't be placing that much responsibility on our provider. And now we've circled back to respo- responsibility of you, right? Like you absolutely do have responsibility in this and it's together with your provider, you always rank it above them. You should not ever hand your control over if you have strong preferences. Now, if you don't have strong preferences and you truly trust them to do what they will, that is your preference. That's literally a preference. People always are like, I I, will, I feel bad doing that. That's your preference. If that's what makes you feel safe, by all means, do it. Don't default to that because that's what you think you have to do or that's the quote unquote right thing to do or that makes you a quote unquote good patient. Like what's a good patient? Define a good patient. Every (laughs) provider is going to have their own definition, right? Like what's a good patient? So don't succumb to that. If that really, those are mental games that um, have somehow just found its way into birth by history, by yeah. years and years of yeah. history. Yeah. When a person doesn't have information, they feel like they're at the whim of, you know, the bus driver, you know, like, like let's say you're on the city bus, right. And you know that your stop is two stops ahead, but the bus driver, instead of going straight goes left. Like you're now, because you, you're, 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 un, you're maybe uninformed. You don't even know that the bus driver took a wrong turn. Right. So even the person dry, even if the doctor was the captain of the ship, you're still the person who's got to get to the destination that you want to, right? And of course, there's going to be medical emergencies that arise. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the really? simple, uh, I don't I don't want to get IV fluids. Am I allowed to deny that? Like, the, of course you are. Like, you don't have to let them ever touch you or speak to you in any way that you don't want to be spoken to. And that's the crux of my entire practice is 
is the shared decision-making conversation. I, I, I always tell doctors, and really this kind of falls into your purview as well, like we have one job as people supporting women in birth. That is to give risks, benefits, alternatives to any intervention using non-coercive language, and then to perhaps even give it a recommendation. I can give you a recommendation, but I'm not going to use language that makes you feel forced to go along with what I would prefer versus what you and your partner may prefer. And that's it. Like That's the crux of shared decision-making. But unfortunately, not many providers are really practicing in that way. And, and that's because it wasn't modeled for them. It's because they've, they've spent so much time learning the pharmacology and the surgery and this and that, that they've forgotten that this is a human being you're serving who has values and insights, and they're thoughtful about things. So you have to start asking that that question from the provider standpoint. And from a consumer standpoint, yeah, you know, there's all these pregnancy books out there, and they all, they're all so all kind of worded like, here's the doomsday stuff that can happen, as opposed to, hey, these things could happen, but what's really important to you? Like, like how do you want to navigate this river together? I'm curious to hear from you, Hihi. I mean, you've done a lot of this work. I know you don't have children yet, and you and I have talked about, you know, what future pregnancy might look for you. If you and I were to work together, my first question to you would be like, what is your ideal birth? Similar to your clients. So I'm curious, what is an ideal birth in your eyes? Oh my gosh. What is my ideal birth? So my ideal birth is um, a home birth. And I think it's just me and my partner. And I have you there, but you're not biased. You're like over in a corner, just monitoring, making sure everything is going well. And if I feel like anything is wrong, I have you there as a reference point. Yeah. Um, it's important to know or important to me. I don't know that my choice would be the same. I don't know that I would want this to be my idol birth if Nicholas didn't have these credentials, but he's an EMT and has been for years. And yeah. so I feel very safe in his hands. Right. And so with the two of you, I just don't, I'm not, I feel so confident. I don't know what could go wrong that the three of us wouldn't be able to yeah. handle. Yeah. Um, and then I would assume too, that I had probably people on my own doula team supporting me doula wise, but at the actual birth of my baby, I would assume that they would kind of step back and it would be just Nicholas and I. So yeah, that's yeah. my ideal. We're, I love the house because we just bought our, our, our first house together. Um, <laughs> and I love this house. So I picture it being in this house, but who knows? Um, and I imagine it would be probably in a birth tub. Water is super important to me when I get hurt. I recently broke my foot a couple months ago and I utilized water like crazy for like menstrual stuff. Water is really important. Heat, movement. So probably in the birth tub. And I think that's what I pictured. Just, Just let it something unfold. gentle and calm. And yeah, no one's really there to poke and prod and, and disturb me. And it just, yeah, unfolds. It just happens. So if you're enjoying this episode with Hee Stewart, you're probably concerned whether it's for yourself or for a client or patient or for a family member who's trying to conceive or they've already achieved pregnancy and now they're trying to take as good of care uh, as possible of their baby. And unfortunately, food nowadays, even those, those organic carrots, organic broccoli, they're nutrient deplete compared to what they were 100 years ago because farmers have not been incentivized to care for the soil. So what is a person to do? You go down the supermarket aisle and you get all these prenatal vitamin options and a lot of them are deplete. A lot of them don't really have much of anything in them, um, apart from a lot of fillers and synthetic stuff that you don't want to put in your body when you're pregnant. Your body's a temple. So fortunately, our new sponsor, Fullwell, which can be found at fullwellfertility.com, makes an excellent prenatal vitamin that's loaded with B vitamins, vitamin D. Everything's chelated with glycine in order to maximize absorption. And one particular nutrient that's included in Fullwell's blend is choline. Choline is arguably the most undervalued nutrient, right? You can get it from eggs and whatnot, but again, eggs from chickens that are not being fed in a responsible way are not going to be provide you with the, with the optimal amount of choline. So the minimum requirements during pregnancy are 450 milligrams daily, but actually more updated research shows that closer to 1,000 milligrams daily is the optimal amount for your growing baby, and also to, to ensure the health of the placenta. So Fullwell packs their vitamins full of choline and all these other vitamins. If you want to get the full list of what's included, go to fullwellfertility.com. Add some of these vitamins to your basket. You are going to be doing the best thing for you and your body and your baby while you're pregnant. And as an added benefit, as a listener of the Holistic OBGYN podcast, if you enter code BELOVED10 at checkout, 
you'll save 10% on your purchase. I can't recommend Fullwell enough. Please support Fullwell, help support our show, and help us keep things rolling here. Let's get back now to my conversation with Hee Hee Stewart. Well, I know that when that time comes, and if I'm involved, then great. If you find another provider, that's awesome. I um, I know that setting boundaries is going to be very, very important to you. So uh, how do you counsel? And, yeah. I, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording. And I know that it's near and dear to you. So, so tell me, when a person comes into this conversation, you know, about pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and they, f- they do feel very disempowered, and you provide them with all this great information, another part of your counseling is going to be related to boundary setting. And how can we as a society empower women to set boundaries? And, and what does that really look like to you? respect boundaries. So if we want to encourage people to continue to set them, we have to respect the ones that they set in the first place. No means no. Like when someone says no to you, that's a hard stop. You don't try and convince them. You don't try to persuade them. You certainly don't use things like the dead baby card or make them feel as if they were a bad parent already before their baby is gone here, right? Like these are, and it, it doesn't matter if it's your medical professional or your partner or your best friend or your parent or your child may be doing it to you. Like anyone who is being coercive like that, that's manipulation. And it is just utterly and especially unacceptable within the medical realm. And I think that's where my passion comes from is like, if there's anyone who should be respecting your nose and giving you the time and the space to ask questions, digest that information, make your choices free of any sort of backlash or influence or ridicule or, you know, really ugly attitudes, it's really just not consent if you can't say no. Yeah, And I think that's really important. So the way that we encourage people to set more boundaries, especially women, is respect the ones that they do set. Show them that they're safe to set the boundary. Show them that when they set a boundary, it'll be respected. And going forward, they're free to set more boundaries and they can count on you to hold and respect those boundaries. You know, on the other side of that spectrum, because everything's a spectrum, it's your job to learn how and when it's appropriate, plus, so in conjunction with which boundaries are worth it, dig it in your heels. So some boundaries, you're really not going to care so much if they are, you know, crossed, right? And some boundaries are going to be like, oh, hell no, do not cross that Hmm. or I'm going to flip this table. Like I'm really going to lose my mind on you if you cross this. And it's your job to communicate all of those, right? So like you can't expect people to assume what your boundaries are or to know what your boundaries are if you haven't communicated them. And that's going to go back to those prenatals, which is also why it's important to use that runway. You've got nine months. We want to be communicating these things with our provider um, so that, you kind of know what to expect and you know kind of maybe how you might be treated in labor, especially if your provider says that a lot of the things that you want aren't in alignment with, aren't congruent with the hospital policy. You can expect that if your provider is not on call for you, their colleagues are probably going to pull the policy card very often. You need to get very comfortable digging your heels in and very firmly saying I hear you. Thank you so much. I do understand the policy and I'm still deciding to decline. I'll let you know if my mind changes. And if you become concerned about me or my baby, I invite you to come back and reopen this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You got to be able to say it. And as you get, obviously, if you are having contractions that are two and a half minutes apart and you're pushing out a baby, it's going to come out more like F you, I'm not doing that. And that's okay too. But in early labor, when you're not feeling so fierce, um, you may, you need to practice what you will say. Um, The later in labor you get, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable and confident probably to be like, honestly, back off. I don't, I'm not moving positions or whatever it may be. But in early labor, it's a lot easier to feel that pressure because well, I mean, you're still really in that place where someone can scare you mm. and, and, you know, your labor is still in a place where it can stop or it can be manipulated by you being scared into something. Yeah. Not that that can't happen late in, in labor, but it's just less likely because you're, you know, 
you're in the flow, you're in the rhythm of things, your body's got it. So yeah, and these like large hospital practices, that's how most OBGYNs in the United States are practicing. They're not attending every one of the births for the women that they're providing prenatal care to. And I don't know if many women really appreciate that. Not even close. Yeah, because it's, I mean, the old story goes that like our family med docs used to attend, you know, every birth and they would care for you from when you were a child all the way up until menopause. And um, and that's obviously, that's a lot. That's a lot for a person to be doing that for an entire community. So we form these group practices and then they're sharing the sort of prenatal care with their partners. And then you never know which one you're going to get on the, the roulette wheel whenever you're finally going into labor. And um, there are some, a couple OBs that I've worked with that still do that, but you're absolutely right. And, and we do, we, we as OBGYNs are kind of, we're, everything's protocolized. There's all these policies in place in order to, you know, quote, keep people safe. And um, what I want to sort of emphasize and, and to share another little anecdote is that for every hospital in the United States, you can type in the hospital name and then type in bill of rights. The patient bill of rights is posted in every single hospital. And when you walk into the hospital, um, you sign some paperwork. And then what happens is the medical staff sort of presume that they know what they what you want. And um, through what I've heard called implied consent, they assume they can put their hands in places, they can start IVs, they can run IV fluids. They never really have to have a conversation because you came to them for help. Why not just let them do their job? That's the the moniker that, that echoes within those, those staff lounges. But the reality is that you still are in control of everything that happens to you. And if, uh, to borrow from Hermine Hayes Klein, who's a, an attorney who works in uh, human rights and childbirth and a good friend of mine, she said, you know, if, if an OBGYN is not willing to accept a woman's decision-making in labor, even if they don't accept your recommendation and the baby dies. That's still not on the patient. That's not her fault that that happened. It's just something that happened. And if you as the provider are not comfortable with her making a decision that maybe results in an outcome that you wouldn't feel okay about, maybe it is that the baby dies, but that sounds to them better than you sort of coercing them into having their abdomen incised and a baby removed through the abdomen then that's on you as the provider. Like go and get therapy, go out for a run, like yeah. like do some deep inner work, find a meditative practice, find something that makes you feel a little bit better about letting a woman decide what happens to her body for once, period. And look, that's <laughs> every birth worker. Like even doulas have to do that. This is something that I support my team in doing. So traditionally doulas don't have a lot of continuing education and they don't have a lot of support, you know, in- this and that's not true so for our team we have lots of one-on-one support we have lots of support within the team and we have like monthly meetings with our team and one of the things that we talk about regularly is what are we doing with ourselves and Mm. what kind of mental health support are we doing with a team or, or as individuals and it is appalling especially now with all the stuff that's going on but there's no mental health help in medicine at all. Right. Everything that you're exposed to as a provider and a nurse and I mean just anyone in medicine, there's nothing. And you go to your superiors and you're like, hey, I'm struggling. And they're like, yeah, we're all struggling. So um we were also wondering if you could pick up a shift next week because we're down in staff. And you're like, I'm what? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. That needs to be done by any birth worker. You have got to be able to separate yourself and see, yes, it's an intimate relationship with these people. I get it, but you've got to be able to see the boundaries yeah. between your support and them being able to remain autonomous and in control of their own choices. Because the minute that you start to make choices for another human is the minute that you start to cause them trauma. Right. If your choice was the same as their choice, you would never feel the need to make a choice for them. Therefore, what they would choose is going to be different than what you're choosing for them. And that is not your place. And it's yeah. just... 
it's muddled. What people learn in medical school is really muddled. And it is, I've heard it be called assumed consent as well. Mm. Providers will throw this back into birther spaces sometimes and say things like, well, you know, we have consent or why would you come here if you weren't going to let us treat you? Or like, why would you come here if you didn't want pain relief? Um, You know, why would you come to the hospital if you weren't let us do something to help you? And some people just feel safer in the hospital or some people called the line to say my water broke. And instead of asking individualized questions, whoever was on the end of that phone was like, yeah, you should come in, which is horrible. You shouldn't. Not, not every person should go straight in. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That's so right. One of the doctors that I trained with when I was in medical school, she's an OB anesthesiologist. Her name is Dr. Tracy Vogel. She's based in Pittsburgh at West Penn Hospital. And she actually went through, uh, so she's an anesthesiologist that focuses on OB. So of course she's doing epidurals, but she's also the person that is behind the blue curtain during C-sections. And she started observing that there's so much trauma on labor and delivery units as it's practiced in the United States. And there's trauma from the provider standpoint. There's trauma from the nurse's standpoint. There's trauma from the patient and her her partner standpoint. And it's it's all because we just can't get over the fact that somebody's going to perhaps have an opinion of their own as to what happens. And on the provider standpoint, we're, we're sort of determined to reduce every bad outcome to zero. It, and, and if our only bad outcomes are a death of a mom or baby, excessive blood loss, uh, whatever, you know, if those are our only bad outcomes, then sure, I guess we might be on the right path, but we haven't seen an improvement in, in the well-being of women, of new moms, right? And so... So what Tracy was starting to realize is, wow, like I knew this lady in her first pregnancy, she had a C-section. Now she's back. She's having a second C-section. She's terrified. And everybody's talking to her as if she's a challenging patient or she's, oh, she's a, she's real tough over in room two or whatever. And Tracy, as the anesthesiologist, she's like the ultimate customer service representative. So she'd go and talk to them, to the patient and say, hey, how was your last birth? And they would tell her this story about how traumatizing it was that they were spoken to in this way, or somebody touched them without introducing themselves and they jammed their hand in their vagina, or, you know, that they were, uh, had a C-section, their arms are strapped crucifixion style, and they can feel pressure and pulling. And there's two people operating that are talking about God knows what. There's very, very little attention to the, to like the, the sacred process that's happening here. And meanwhile, the person who's being operated on doesn't feel like they've had any say whatsoever. And when Tracy's kind of dug deeper, she and I did an interview on my old podcast. She said they just didn't felt feel heard. And the fact mm-hmm. that they that their opinion wasn't taken into account, it wasn't they weren't able to impart their preferences, that in and of itself is traumatizing. Yeah. And then it pans out over their lifetime, right? Where they feel like the ultimate violation was in their birth. And I mean, just think about how society has, how this ripples out through society. Like if we're not able to respect women in childbirth, then, then what else, what else can we possibly hold sacred if this is not sacred? You know, so at the bare minimum, introducing yourself and asking a person, how are you? How are you doing? Like, tell me about what's important to you. I mean, this is basic human stuff, but it's not playing out that way. Probably as a result of policies and medical education and perhaps even our just over fixation perhaps on the the objectifiable measurable things like infection blood loss route of delivery etc it's like hey healthy mom healthy baby everything should be fine what are you so crabby about it's like well i don't know i didn't feel like it i just didn't feel safe in my own birth and i was in a hospital where there's they advertise themselves as safe you know so this is like a really, really, what you're, what you're getting into is a really, really tricky part. And if we're going to fix the maternity care model, it starts by just being able to connect human to human, whether we're providers or, you know, of any sorts, doulas, midwives, doctors, you know, labor and delivery nurse, just being able to connect to people and realize like, hey, this is a person going through a very, very uh, exciting and perhaps very scary experience. Just acknowledging that is in and of itself, bearing witness to that is in and of itself therapeutic, in my opinion, in my experience. Yeah. So two things that you said that I want to definitely highlight. The definition that you and I hold for healthy mom and healthy baby is probably very <laughs> different than someone's the hospital. Yeah. So 
going back to that radical responsibility, knowing what is your definition of a healthy baby, healthy mama. So yeah. if I walk away and I'm alive, but I'm traumatized and like am having nightmares of my birth, I'm not healthy. Yeah. I'm not well. That's not a healthy mom. I think what the hospital always means is like a live mama and that's okay. That's like the bare minimum <laughs> that you should really sue for because really healthy baby, healthy mama is very different. And then the second thing is I grew up on a, a farm. And so I actually grew up seeing death by way of animals, right? Cows, horses, ducks, my whole family. So my grandfather and my uncle also have farm so pigs things like that yeah that also means i grew up seeing birth a lot and so these things are natural to me the way that the medical system tries to dwindle everything down to zero is very unnatural and the it, it really causes us harm and I think so many times we fail to remember that death is part of birth yeah. and there is always a piece that will be, and you cannot control for that, nor should it be zero. Nature doesn't intend for that. That's right. It, it, it just doesn't. And the more that we control, we're actually just causing ourselves harm. So we've really got to step back and look at like, what are we doing in the birth room? And if it's to control for something that's pretty uncontrollable. Yeah. As the birthing person, you need to be asking, is it worth doing in right. your opinion? Um, right. And remember, it may th this may go against what your doctor's suggesting, or they may totally disagree with you. And if it is really feels aligned to you, you should listen to that instinct for sure. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, part of the the radical responsibility of being pregnant is that you are not entitled to survive yeah. childbirth. You're not entitled for your yeah. baby to survive childbirth. I know that that is going to ruffle a lot of feathers. Maybe it'll get me some bad reviews and some nasty emails. But nowhere in... I mean, North Hospital, uh, uh, they cannot guarantee that. So right, right. it doesn't matter if it's you making the decision or your doctor making the decision. You are never guaranteed you or your baby to survive. And yeah. so yeah. It, doesn't, it also doesn't make sense to do that at the hospital. Right. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And and uh, what you were kind of dipping your toes into there was, let's say, if I if I had to do a hundred non consensual vaginal exams in order to save one baby from dying, then that means that I saved one baby. There was ninety nine women in the meantime who were tr completely traumatized by the experience of having an an a, a, a non consensual hand rammed up into their vagina against their will, even perhaps when they're saying, no, 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 please don't. But we do it anyways, because we need to check on the baby. It's like, yes, maybe you, you save an occasional baby by checking the cervix without consent. But in the meantime, we are traumatizing women. And this is becoming intergenerational. I mean, this is becoming a huge, huge thing. And so it's no surprise to me when people say, I'd rather have a baby at home. I mean, of course, I, we had a baby at home. So I, I'm like a huge advocate. But, but people in the system are like, how could people want to give birth at home? Don't you know it's dangerous and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, bro, you're not advertising this hospital thing is all that safe for anybody. You know, maybe physically you reduced your, your blood loss over the past 10 years, but you've also created a, a great source of, of grief for so many women by not simply respecting their boundaries or asking them, how are you? Or how was your last birth? I mean, having some decent conversation so, yeah, I mean, trauma is tricky because you can't measure it. I mean, we can do inventories and questionnaires and everything else, but an experience with trauma is a very personal thing that may dig very, very deep into the depths of who you are. So it becomes a, an etheric or a spiritual issue that is not nobody's issue but the woman's now. And we don't have the services in our, in, our, in our country in order to really help people get down to those issues. So in other words, for every one good thing that we're solving, we're creating a whole host of other things, like a nine-headed hydra. And, and the medical system needs to wake up to this. They really, really do.
Yeah, it doesn't do any good if you have like a corner full of shit and in order to fix that corner, you just put that shit in a different corner. Like now you just have <laughs> another corner that's filled with shit. Like right. you didn't fix anything. If you, we, we've got to actually stop and look at individual problems and say, okay, what are our different solutions? And if we do this solution, how does it impact right. everything else? Right. Um, and we have got to stop looking at the birther and the, and the baby as two separate entities, they are together. You've got to treat them as one thing. It just is how it has to happen. And, um, you know, so, oh, so many people report trauma from being a physically separated from their baby, which yeah, duh, that's super traumatizing, <laughs> but basically being treated as just this vessel to get this baby. But everybody in the medical system was always very worried about the baby and saving the baby. And they really didn't feel like a priority. And they were like, look, I would like to stay alive too. Um, So unconsented care is definitely a huge part of it, but there's a big, bigger, deeper part of it that I think providers really miss out on in the language that you use, that when you talk about a mom and a baby, you need to talk about them together as one thing, because you're making these moms, these pregnant people feel invisible and dismissed and like a vessel. And that, that is not okay. That's not okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is just, oh my gosh. Well, in the most beautiful part, uh, sort of resolution of what you're describing is that the technologies of improving maternity care are actually, they're not million dollar pharmaceuticals. They're not ex- extra expensive fetal heart rate monitors or, you know, new convertible beds that make it more comfortable. Like those are all nice things. But what we're talking about is just human decency in respecting birthing women, period. And autonomy. Like you, yeah. you have got to separate yourself in a degree from the outcome of that birth. And you've got to leave space to recognize that that person is their own individual person. And they have, you know, their free will. You've got to honor that. And so many providers within the medical system today, right now, really believe that their education and their title trumps that person's individual rights to continue to make their decisions. It's hard being out there. It's hard on both ends. Like it's hard (laughs) being a consumer in medicine really right now because there's a lot of distrust out there and, you know, it's hard to find evidence-based medicine. And I know that it's hard being a provider. There's a lot on you. The system really works against you. Nobody's got it good. But if we continue to work against each other, our stats are only going to get worse. So we've got to get it together, people. Like we just do. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really have any other choice. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah. we are going to clash and burn at some point. <laughs> right, <we're> <laughs> right. It's like, do I pull the, do I, do I cut the red wire or the blue wire? If you don't cut one, you're going to blow up anyways. You know, while you're defusing a bomb. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, awesome. Uh, there's another topic I really wanted to get into with you, which is partner support. This is something sure. that is sorely lacking. We see the partner as an inconvenience at best in many scenarios within maternity care. And, you know, there's not a lot of educational resources necessarily for, I'm speaking about a very, you know, stereotypical male partner, female birthing uh, woman. I'm working on that. I'm working on trying to to evolve the conversation for conscious men out there to be better birth, you know, uh, caretakers for birth, their birthing partners. Um, or if you have a if you're a female partner to a birth, birthing woman, to to inspire and encourage and empower people to do a better job. So, what's your approach and in, in your take on that? Yeah. So we want to blame these um, dads and I too am primarily talking about uh, male identifying people because that's the, that's the majority of the people that I work with and also the people who I help support. So we want to blame these dads for going in the birth room and like not knowing what to do, but like, where are they getting this information? Who's teaching them what to do? We're, We're trying to be like, you're a deadbeat that. And they're like, I literally don't know what to do. If you'll ask me something to do or give me the task to do, I'm happy to do it. But I'm sitting on the couch because I don't know how to support them. So one of the things that we do in, in Tranquility by Hehe is we have what's called the Dad Days course and it actually steps new dads through pregnancy, birth, and then the first um, like three months of postpartum of what you can expect. And there's a lot of approaches to this. So we want to approach your your wife, the pregnant person, 
as a kind of a whole being. So mindset, you got to think about what's going on in her mind. Her life is about to change. Her body is changing. She's probably very fearful about what's happening and also like really excited. Um, and there's a piece of her that's probably ready to be done being pregnant. There's definitely a piece that's wondering how this is all going to go out. And obviously these are just general things. Your, your person's going to have their own mm. intricacies and it goes very deep. So think about what's going on in their head. Um, and also know that there is a additional piece of this that's just hormone like pregnancy related hormones that are just wild and unexplained in nature I think at some point was like I'm about to just put them on a really crazy wild and see if they can hang um and that's how we got pregnancy hormones because you sometimes just cry and you have no reason to cry it can sometimes come out as rage it can sometimes come out as just like emotions that you have no idea where they came from yeah or even it's about Pregnancy is wild. Hold space for that. Know that it's not personal. Understand that it's not really about you. Um, And I think just ask them what you can do to support them. They probably aren't going to know a lot of the times. And they may say, like, I don't even know where that came from. And you can say, that's okay. You're pregnant and growing another human. And I love you. All right, moving on, right? Um, I think, too, physically, understand what's going on with their body, not only now, but also what's going to happen. One of the worst things you can do, especially as a male partner, is get into the room and pass out because now you are also taking up resources that should actually be given to your wife. And then we have to put you kind of on a cot or in the corner and, you know, we're a man down. Know what you're getting into. Know what you're getting into. Know your boundaries. We talked about boundaries earlier. This is a really great place for you to say, listen, I get really squeamish with blood. So when blood is like coming or if there's things that are, you know, usually get squeamish people, can you tell me? Of course. Worse. I don't want you to pass out. I'm definitely yeah. going to give you a heads up, right? I'm going to position you in the room around your person in a way that you are less likely to see blood. I mean, it <laughs> can get messy through your promises, but like, I'll try and keep that distance between you, you know? Also, I think helping them set boundaries. So, being part of the overwhelming, everyone has an opinion. Um, their dog an opinion their doula has an opinion their mom has an opinion their dad has an opinion your mom and dad have an opinion and the neighbor has an opinion the people in the grocery store have an opinion and the flight attendant has an opinion everyone has an opinion of birth and i think being their rock being their their grounded person is really really important everyone around them is going to be noise if they could just have one safe space and you could be for them. That's huge. Um, It's really important for you to do listening and to really understand what they're hoping to get out of their birth and how you can best support that so that going forward, you know the type of support that they're expecting because they've told you what you can do and it makes it very easy for you. You've asked, what can I do once you get them to answer? Sometimes they don't know and it takes some conversation. But once you get down to it, you know they're not looking for you to fix anything. They really just want you to hear them. And at the end of the night, say like, look, this is shitty. And I'm sorry that this is happening right now, but I love you. And we're going to get through this or to say like, I know today was very scary. There's nothing I can say that's going to fix it, but you were super strong and I'm really proud of you. And I'm, I love you. I'm glad that you're my wife and I'm excited to see you birth our baby. There's lots of things that you can say um, without fixing because that's the natural male kind of instinct is let me take this away. I love my wife so much. I want to fix this for her. Um, And you're, you can't, you can't (laughs) fix it. Um, And this is just, it's again, I'm, Nathan was like, I'm about to rock their world and we'll see who hangs. Um, And so it really is, it's a wild, wild ride. Um, if you're going to be challenged, she's going to be challenged. You'll be challenged together. This is going to continue in postpartum. Yeah. Um, but if you can be her rock, and this this is going to translate to into birth, right? So when she says no, even if you don't even know why she's saying no or what she's saying no to, and a provider comes back and goes, well, we really, nope. She said no. It's It's super important that she can count on you to be gatekeeper almost to say like I'm going to give her a chance to say what she's saying and if that's not respected then you will deal with me and she's only going to say it once because she's working really hard she's pushing a baby out and it's my baby and so listen to her or I'll be talking to you right not in a threatening way but just in a way of like we're going to respect her or we're going to let her be to birth and you and I can have this conversation but she did say no so the answer will be no yeah yeah 
probably the most important point that you make is that you just made is something that I'm, I'm like reiterating over and over and over again. And that is that those of us who are masculine energy dominant, we do come to the plate with this notion that we're going to fix it. We're going to fix something, the problem solver mentality. And, and oftentimes that's, that's kind of like what society expects of us. You know, you're the provider or, you know, you're the breadwinner or you have to know how to fix the car or you have to do whatever these, you know, whatever else needs done around the house. Like you need to be Mr. Fix it. And, um, even when our wives come, when I, when my wife comes to me, I've, we've been married for 20 years now. She comes to me with a problem and immediately, despite everything I preach, I'm like, Oh, have you tried this? Did you think about this? And she's like, bro, how many times have we been over this? <laughs> what on earth? You learned nothing in your 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Like it, I mean, and that's supposed to be, I suppose I'm trying to inspire everybody to give themselves a little bit of a break. But like, even after 20 years married to an incredible woman who's so patient with me, clearly, I still am like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm not here to fix your problems. But, you know, even with our kids, the kids can't communicate what they need. They're merely sometimes just screaming in your face because they are babies and they don't know how to express themselves otherwise. What a test of, of what we're talking about of like, you don't have to have the answer. You just need to hold space for this thing happening. Uh, and so in birth, it's no different. It's actually like the ultimate test of manhood is how much can you get out of the way while still holding space? And one thing I talk about all the time is the masculine versus feminine. The masculine is the mountain. It's the, the rocks lining the river, allowing the powerful feminine river to just do your feminine thing, which is, mm-hmm. is to, to change the landscape, to carry, to push through. And that powerful feminine force is not something that we generally value in our society without realizing, and probably because it's so powerful that men needed to like suppress that at some point. So different conversation for a different time. But, but as the mountain, it's not your job to push the river. You're holding space for the river to flow. And that is like a mantra for me, like hold the space, hold the space. So anybody out there who knows these little buzz terms, like hold space, that's exactly what we're talking about. It's not your problem to fix. The river will find its way. Just hold the ground and give some parameters for it to push against. And that's your, and that's really your job. And of course you could go to the birth deck. You can, there's all these other great companies out there that have like books and, and of course he, he, your whole training is about this, um, is like, you know, there's other things you could do massage techniques. There's other things that you can do, but it's still going to depend on what is it that she needs. And you're not there to fix the problem. You're there to accommodate her superpower and allow it to unfold in its most beautiful way. Yeah. You're her sidekick and don't get wrong. Like you are so important without you. This would be so much harder on her. You play a crucial, crucial role in this, but it's going to be different than any other role you have ever played in your life ever. And so to go into it with not zero expectations, but expectations that are so free that you are open to any way that she needs you to support her is the key. If you go in thinking, well, I am going to do this and I'm not going to do that. I think you might be a little surprised because as much as we want to play at birth, it almost never goes as planned. Yeah. Whether that's good or bad, it just almost never goes as we plan it to. Well, everybody knows I'm way out of the woo closet, but don't you think the baby has some say as to how this is going to go, right? It's it's not that the baby is Definitely. using its rational mind. It's that the baby has, like, there's another plan in place here that you just don't have, you're not privy to. That's part of what life is all about. I don't know where I'm going to be in 10 years. We have to see where the river takes me. Yeah. I, uh, a friend of mine is a perinatal, um, she's a perinatal mental health specialist, and she has shared a story in which a woman had a C-section and was just so traumatized by the fact that she did everything right, everything in her power to have a vaginal birth. And she still ended up in the operating room, like against all of her will. And she had advocated and she had birth planned and she, her partner was perfect. Like they did it all right. They had all the boxes checked, but they still ended up there and they did some deep work. And I think she ended up actually going to like a regression, uh, regression therapy or something. I, I probably wasn't regression therapy, but at, at any rate, she ended up meeting this, the baby. And uh, after the fact, the baby's alive and well, but she ended up going back into the uterus, you know, postnatally. And this is in, in a very deeply meditative space. Probably there was some 
it sounds like almost like there were some psychedelic medicines involved. So I can't speak to the mm. actual experience, but she met the baby in the womb and had a conversation. Like, why didn't you come out? Like, why didn't you come out that way? Yeah. And the baby pointed down and was like, look at what's down there, like at the cervix, presumably. And, and you know, it's like a, like a damp basement down there with like cobwebs and it just was scarred up and like, it didn't look like a safe place you'd want to go. Almost like a horror movie. Like, I don't want to go down there, mom. I had to come out in a different way. And so as a part of this therapy, they rounded it out with, with some additional talk therapy. And she said, you know, I, I had like a, a really, really traumatic, it was a rape or something similar to that in the past. And it had left, it left this trauma, which, you know, in her mind's eye, manifested as cobwebs in this dangerous place to go. Like, like the pelvis itself seemed unsafe to the baby and the baby had to make a different, had to have a different plan. And that sometimes just happens. Like we have to just relinquish some of the control. We have to set good boundaries. We have to have our intentions set, but we also have to be willing to be a little bit flexible with that. And that's part of the beauty in the mystery of childbirth is you don't know how things are going to go. I didn't know we were going to have a two hour labor this time around. I didn't, I would have, I would have said, my money's on a 36 hour labor <laughs> just cause you don't ever, you, you know, you prepare for the worst hope for the best. And we were fortunate to have, you know, this home birth that was super, super short, but gosh, we count our blessings. Like that was very, very fortunate to us. Not everybody is going to have that experience. We just have to accept that as a culture as well, that we can't control every facet of this. And the more that we try to control it, the more problems we create sort of back to the, the 10 headed Hydra that we were talking about before. Exactly. And we've also circled back to, you know, the number is not supposed to be zero of the cases that, um, you know, baby would have died earlier before C-sections existed. That's we're trying to strike. Right, right. How much can we save without damaging further? And right now we're doing neither. We're not saving, nor are we reducing our numbers. So we are damaging. And so, you know, the balance is definitely there. That story is absolutely incredible about mm. the baby. I, <laughs> I too am far out of the woo closet. Like, <laughs> okay. Um, people expect me to say really far out things now, but I am not shy in prenatals to tell people like, you, you should be talking to your baby um, and telling your baby that they're safe and you trust right. them to come out right. whenever and however that they, they should. Because our babies definitely know. I do believe that there are babies. Um, it's not the number that would account for the stats that we have, like a 33% and rising C-section rate or the induction rate that we currently have. None of that would be accounted for for this. But I do believe that all babies know. And there are some cases where your baby is very smart. And if we can look at your contraction patterns or we look at your baby's heart rate or maybe it's a combination of things, we can actually pick up on messages that your baby sending us. And there are just a number of times where I've said, I wonder if this will be the case. And when we get to the other end of the story, it is in fact the case. Um, yeah. And so I do. Yeah. I totally believe your baby is smart and knows and plays a very active role in this. Yeah, that's right. And and as providers, we, we should be taking that intuition into account. It's not everything, but it is a big piece of it. You know, mm -hmm. after years mm -hmm. and years of practicing this, I do have a gestalt. Like, it's almost like I'm communicating with the baby and the baby's saying like, I'm good or I'm not good. Yeah. And I yeah. communicate with the soul of our baby before we had birth. There, There is communication there. You have to be paying attention. You have to be really, really present. And sometimes on a labor and delivery unit with all the hubbub and the fuss, you, we, we tend to lose, we get tend to have all these other distractions. But when in doubt, asking a laboring woman, how was how are you doing? How's the baby? They'll tell you. And if all of your objectifiable mm -hmm. signs say it's okay, and they say, I'm not okay, you still may need to consider some other intervention. Mm -hmm. This is a, just a piece of the whole puzzle, you know, and even my, my good, my dear friend, Marin Green, who's a CPM, she's uh, the owner of the Indie Birth um, Midwifery Program. She's had, you know, she had her first baby, I think all of her kids were at home. And then her last one, she was laboring at home and said, something doesn't feel right. And she took herself to the hospital. Of all people, having, having had nine babies, she just, her intuition told her something is up. And so they rushed to the hospital. She still gave an, had an unassisted birth vaginally at the hospital. But I mean, there, that just goes to show like, you just never know. You just have to be paying attention and be willing to be flexible and to really listen to your body and your baby. 
that's the key is be willing to listen to it. Um, you know, the people get really bogged down on your ideal births. I just described my ideal births. Yeah. What if I can't have that? Like yeah. I'm, I will be sad. Yeah. I'll definitely be sad and I'll definitely cry. I'm going to cry hundred percent. I will hold space for me to grieve that birth that I wasn't able to get, but definitely you have to be willing to, um, in Tranquility by Hihi, we call it pivot, but you've got to mm. be able to pivot mm. with your birth. Um, and that, that's kind of what we tell people. And we'll ask them, we'll say, like, this is maybe a pivot in your birth. And they can come back and say yes or no. Um, but yeah, being being aware of what your body and your baby and the signals that you're getting, super crucial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, Hihi, we've already reached an hour. That was a fast one. Good Lord. I could talk to you for hours. Always. Yeah, man. Well, whenever you're pregnant or you're, you're getting there, please let me know. I'd love to be a part of your care, at least just to be your, your hype man in the back, just cheering you on. I'll be there for you. That's my dream. <laughs> It'd be my pleasure. It really is. How, how can people find you? How, how do you want people to reach out and uh, connect with you? Yeah. So um, if you're interested in taking the birth ed class, um, it's actually a membership. So it's called the birth lounge and you pay monthly and you get access to me and my team and um, a slew of videos that will teach you everything you need to know about navigating hospital policy, creating your birth plan, understanding your options when it comes to your birth plan, your patient rights, things like that. Or you can follow me on Instagram. It's at Tranquility by Hehe. And then I guess I have a podcast as well. It's the Birth Lounge Podcast. You can check us out there. We're on YouTube. We're lots of places. So if you do Tranquility by Hehe on any platform, probably find me. You'll wander your way to me. And I do a lot of patient advocacy talk, um, a lot of you know radical responsibility. Here's the control that you have in these situations. Now go forth and do your research um, or go forth and ask your provider about them. Or, you know, if this is what your provider's doing, this is a red flag and here's why. Um, so I just, I want you to know that you have access to good care out there. The, the providers, those providers, they do exist. They are far and few between and they require you to do digging. But, you know, I'm not shy to digging and, and doing the work. It's important. You've got a long time, a yeah. months to do your, do your work. So lay that foundation. That's a great way to spend your time pregnant and uh, increasingly sore with a baby's, you know, head in your pelvis and yeah. you don't have much energy. <laughs> you don't have much energy or, or willpower necessarily when you're, when you're getting close to the end, but it's a great way to, uh, to spend your time is to get ready and to, to convene with people like you and your staff. I really, uh, I really do believe that. So thank you, Hehe. If there's any or ever anything I can do to support you, you know, I've got your back. You're amazing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Holistic OBGYN podcast. I feel like these interviews are just getting better and better and I'm learning so much about the birthing community. Even though I've been immersed in the birthing community, there's always some surprise. And the idea of concierge birth support is just so rad. It's so needed <laughs> in our country. And it's a shame that it's needed, but but it is. You know, we, we just aren't being seen as humans going through a sacred rite of passage by the medical establishment, which is which is a big reason why I left. I mean, I've I've been feeling this from day one. It's like, where is a person supposed to get their questions answered? And I remember... My wife, when we had our, when we were pregnant with our first daughter, I had been sent all these books from people that I love that wrote their own sort of compendium of here's what you need to know about pregnancy. And, and she had the stack in front of her. And I'll never forget it. She's like maybe halfway through pregnancy or maybe three quarters. And she was like, nope, not reading that one. Nope, not reading that one. And I realized she was getting to like the first chapter. And the first chapter was like, here's all the terrible, horrible things to be afraid of. Like, that's just not what a person needs necessarily. Some people need that and they benefit from that. But my wife really needed somebody to hold space for her journey through the portal. And I'm so grateful that there are people like Hehe out there who see this issue and think to themselves, what would I want in my pregnancy? And then they build it. And fortunately, so many pregnant women have come to her and have, have just found so much, I don't know, so much support, so much grace, right? With, with the idea of a village caring for you. This is how it always used to be. But of course, nowadays, you know, things aren't always what we'd like them to be. So you can find all of 
Hehe's links in the, the caption here. I'm not doing show notes anymore because I just don't think it was just taking extra time and I was getting very few hits on, on uh, you know, by Google Analytics. So I decided why not, instead of putting them there and then copying them over to the description of the podcast episode, I'm just going to put it all right in there and then you don't have to worry about it. But you can find Hehe Stewart and her team at Tranquility by Hehe. That's B-Y-H-E-H-E dot com, Tranquility by Hehe. Check out what she's got She's got going on there. Even if you're in the birth community and you think you know it all, just read through some of her stuff. Attend some of her free webinar, webinars and you're definitely going to learn something. This Hehe is a, a real blessing to the birthing community. So I thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. If you want to find me, it's BelovedHolistics.com. I'm going to be disintegrating HolisticOBJOANPod.com and having everything in one location to make it easier for you, my lovely fans and listeners. So BelovedHolistics.com, if you want to work with me as a patient or if you are a collaborator uh, looking for my collaborator program, that's for birth educators, doulas, midwives, any type of doctor, healthcare professional, health coaches, check practitioners, whatever. If you feel like you would benefit from having the added benefit of somebody who sees this through the lens of allopathic medicine, meaning the conventional way that medicine is practiced in the United States, but has a completely different, very holistic approach, truly holistic, not just natural, but holistic, body, soul, spirit, you can hire me. And on a, for a monthly fee, I'm available to you for anything under the sun, including ordering labs, imaging, medications, reviewing any sort of studies that have come back from the conventional model that pertain to your to your patient's health. I do a lot of Dutch test interpretation. I have a really good knowledge of a lot of the supplements on the market, a lot of the detox protocols, IV um, nutrition and hydration programs, etc. So you can find all of that at BelovedHolistics.com. Remember, this podcast is a 501c3. We are educational. We are not a replacement for the advice given to you by your medical doctors or your other providers. So don't misconstrue that. This is a podcast. It's for entertainment and educational purposes only. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you next time. Episode, it will be episode 59, where it will just be me. It'll be me speaking to the masses about my holistic OBGYN practice. So stay tuned for that. I'll see you next time, guys. Thank you. Thank you.